hello. I'm Liz Philippos, and you're tuned into A Spiritual Guide to Politics. I've recently transitioned the show from radio to a podcast format, and I'm so happy that you're listening. The themes of the show have been about consciousness, and what I'm really interested in exploring are the shifting paradigms of consciousness, that just knowing that consciousness is what precedes form, consciousness precedes politics, it precedes the institutions, it precedes the social order, everything that we can see. The shift that we're making is from a paradigm that was very focused on materialism, on just what you can see and what you can touch, these bodies, these minds, these consumer items and consumerism as part of our motivation for existence, shifting from that paradigm to one that is about our expanded nature and the expanded nature of life on the planet. And energy healing is actually part of the shifting paradigm and the growing awareness in something called energy, that we are more than the body, more than these minds, more than our material lives, and that there is an energetic field that we can actually access for healing. And so this is the topic of today's conversation with my good friend and a brilliant man, Keith Parker. Keith has studied consciousness uh, from the inside out for over 15 years, and uh, he's gone from contemplative sciences and exploring fundamental states of consciousness to holistic healing. And he's developed a number of modalities over the years that include movement, breath work, body work, energy work. He's dedicated to the experience of the present moment, that it's through his uh, experience of expanded consciousness and energy that he has developed these modalities. And he is passionate about teaching people how to heal themselves and to transform their lives and to come to a deeper understanding of our lives in this broader context, science and spirituality. Keith is the co-founder of Field Dynamics with his partner, Christabel Armston, and this program is a training program. It brings together his expertise of rarefied states of consciousness, multidimensional perception, and the holistic healing process. He and Christabel together are dedicated to be in the service of others, and we had an amazing conversation I think very informative, very insightful, and very inspiring about the possibilities for our transformation, self-transformation, civilizational transformation even. And so I'm, I'm so glad to introduce to you Keith Parker, and we start the show. Welcome 
welcome to A Spiritual Guide to Politics. I am Liz Philippos, and I'm here to offer an expanded perspective into this moment in our collective political lives so that we come to a deeper awareness of our capacity to transform and transcend the present paradigm as agents of transformation. Each week, I talk with creative leaders about their spiritual understanding of the current political moment the possibilities for the well-being of our planetary lives and the life of the planet itself. They inspire us to know that the personal is political and the political is spiritual. There are tremendous possibilities for transformation when we really come to know this. My guest today is my good friend and uh, someone I refer to often as a wizard, uh, Keith Parker, who is an energy healer, uh, forging some new ground in that field of energy healing. He's gonna talk to us a little bit about uh, what is energy healing and uh, about the work that he's doing right now. I'm so happy that he's here. <laughs> Welcome, Keith. All right. Thanks, Liz. I'm a wizard, huh? <laughs> <laughs> this is how I've thought of you for a long time. I think since I met you because of the, the access that you have to universal energy, the way that you channel it, the way that you compose yourself, the approach that you've taken, what I know about you is that this is your life's work, your commitment. You changed everything to go on this path, right? Mm -hmm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Like how you started in energy healing? What happened? Well, winding up in the in the world of energy healing has been a result of um, a kind of a natural unfolding of my own perception. So I initially just got attracted to looking at what the nature of the self was. Um, you know, what, questioning, you know, why was I at dis-ease um, or dissatisfaction with life in any particular way? And this was a, a bit over a decade ago. And uh, my life on paper was fantastic. I used to call it life on paper because the statistics, the, the mental kind of objectification of what my life was at the time looked great. Uh, I, I had a successful business in New York running a recording studio. I was a music producer. I was a professional musician. So I was, I was working and thriving um, in a great scene. And yet I continually came up to this place of dissatisfaction or discontent with what was going on. Um, and I didn't understand that, you know, um, how many people tell you like, you're living a dream. A lot of people would say mm -hmm. to me and my, my business partner at the time, you know, wonderful uh, situation there. And yet here I was cyclically um, finding myself wondering, well, well there, there's something missing. Um, I had a kind of a peak experience of something missing, so to speak, where I really, really went into a deep state of malaise and, and unhappiness and depression in a sense, and, uh, and really like lost myself um, and wound up being quite like out of my body for a while. Mm. And um, something happened, a, a bubble popped. I, I, I didn't know at the time, but really something popped. Um, maybe some, some aspects of the ego, some aspect of, of, a, of an identity that I was quite attached to. Mm. And um, as a result of that, I actually came here to Los Angeles um, a month later after a really strong experience. And I said, I'm just gonna put everything down in New York I'm just going to go into a new environment for a few months and try something out. So mm. I flew out to L.A. I had some friends here and I spent a few months uh, living in L.A. And the moment I got here, I started um, dedicating myself to meditation every day. 
Um, I went to the gym every single day. I started cooking for myself every day. And I started looking into, you know, what, what am I? And, and really starting with the, that, that, that seed, which is traditional meditation, which is just learning to get calm, learning to still my mind, mm. and coming into the present moment with nothing else other than that being the focus of the practice, just simpli- simplistic stillness practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And and were you a meditator before, or that was new? Um, I had I had played with meditation in a formal way through mm-hmm. some um, exposure to Zen Zen books. I was very intrigued by Zen, the aesthetic of Zen, and the kind of um, the playfulness and the po- the poetic aspect of it. And so I had sat from time to time um, over the previous, let's say, five years or so, and went through some significant periods of sitting most days for a month or two at a time and noticing that my awareness would shift. I had a, had a particular experience in the subway in New York once where something happened where I went into some kind of a deeper state and I had no idea about what was happening, but something as a result of having sat for a little while, um, something flipped in my experience one day, and I remember being really shocked, like, what was that kind of thing? So Mm -hmm. I became quite intrigued. Um, The other thing I was doing was, ever since I was about 20 years old, um, I studied um, a certain kind of um, very experimental, like, avant-garde approach to music, um, doing a kind of free improvisation. And it's not like jamming, but it's more like um, letting silence be the lead. And you get together, whether it be yourself or a group of people, and you work with silence as the starting point. And then the language that um, that the musician makes with their instrument is more about learning to communicate you know, um, as originally, as authentically as possible with the other members and kind of creating a language um, amongst a group in that moment. So mm. it was a very, very meditative music. Mm. And I had a lot of strange, what seemed to be strange experiences at the time when we would do these deep listening processes of, of, of holding silence and holding space and allowing each person to be enter into the space through the use of their instrument, through the speaking through their instrument, mm. and, um, and have a kind of communion there. And so I used to have strong experiences in consciousness, you might say, during those. Mm-hmm. And, but I didn't know how, I didn't have a framework for them. I just knew something, there was something to this thing called silence. And there was something to this thing called the present moment and the space that opens up when you are silent in the present moment. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That's fascinating. Yeah. So there were a lot of clues. There was, there were things. It was like, um, <laughs> you know, the pebble was making its way, the, 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 <laughs> the jagged pebble was thrown in the river early on, so to speak. So right. I didn't know, though, that I was getting rounded out in the meantime. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. It's great for people listening, too, to just know that that discontent, if anyone's experiencing that, that that's a, that's a real... Um, storehouse of information <laughs> right <laughs> and clues it's we're not meant to live in discontent right exactly there's mm-hmm. something there's something so genius about one's own um, uh, emotional movements so to speak and that there's some kind of a, of a guide there's some kind of an inner guide there's this like um, very potent energy in, in, in states that are accentuated to the degree that we feel compelled by them. Mm. So those, those experiences, whether positive or negative, are things to take note of. And very often the, the tendency is to have the things that we don't like 
be something that we say we want to we want to fix in a way that makes us move away from it versus engaging it um, and as, in a sense confronting it and or being with it in a, in a peaceable manner so mm-hmm. that's usually the tide that's turned by people when they're entering into a more um, dare I say sophisticated or or skillful way mm-hmm. of dealing with life's problems uh, is instead of running um, instead to actually meet and to be in, in rapport and, and to come into resonance with an issue without having significant resistance, but rather trying to allow something to show you something, to show the intelligence in the experience. Mm-hmm. And part of that is a sort of trusting there's something in this for me instead of, oh, this, this hurts, this is uncomfortable, why is this happening to me? Right to be friendly with it right mm-hmm. yeah it's one of the like note cards for living in this universe right is like all things are exactly as they need to be mm-hmm. you know so it's like there may be like six of these I always play around with this idea of how few guidelines would you need <laughs> that whenever anything comes up that you consider um, a struggle or or something that you have any resistance towards how many perspectives how many little sentences would it take for you to snap back into you know, being in alignment with what's going on. Mm-hmm. And one of those is just, it's always exactly how it needs to be. Mm. You know, anytime there's discomfort, if you simply appreciate that, you're grateful for it, and if you look at it as a lesson and an opportunity, of course, you're inverting the, the aversive tendency um, that might be having the resistance. So what's another one? So everything is as it is meant to be. Yeah. Uh, what's another one? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've always liked the golden rule, do unto others as, you've, as you would um, have done unto yourself, which is some kind of like maybe the birth of or the, the foundation of ethics or something like that. Okay. Know? So it's hard to get away from that one because um, however you want to be treated, you know, is how you should be considering treating everybody else and no less. Mm-hmm. So that's two. Okay. And that's not just a moral issue. That's also an energetic issue. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You can take that into it's, that's the, I mean, the, these, these, um, these windows, so to speak, are some kind of all encompassing kind of, um, you know, what was it? Note cards for, for living in this universe. Right. Yeah. Note cards for living in this universe. You should make a little book like that. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. I mean, you know, a, typ- <laughs> a typical cliche one is that, you know, every, there's a, we're all one. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a little bit more of a reach, um, depending on the on your perspective. But um, there is this importance between. Um, I find um, very useful for me has been this kind of this paradox of uh, the paradox of you might call it the primary paradox, and that is that there's there's absolute and there's relativity simultaneously existent. So there's there's the oneness of everything, the unified state of everything, and then there's the polarity or the, the duality of everything. And, and so some, some people just constantly write off and they go, well, it's all one, you know? And then mm-hmm. some people, it's all relative, but they're both true and mm-hmm. they don't contradict one another. And, um, but coming back into that unified or that non-polarized uh, orientation, the perspective and the identification of, of unity and oneness. Some people like to go to use the word love at times. It just, it depends on definitions, but certainly the absolute and the unchanging being one side and then the changing and the relative being 
the other side. And that's that's another one I think of that would, if whittled down to an appropriate way, mm-hmm. it's, it's all one um, would be would be maybe one of these, these note cards. Right, right. It's all one with understanding the substance of that. Yeah, that's that's the that's the gap is that that is something that's available intellectually and it's also available experientially. The experiential one might be a little bit harder to get to um, in terms of a, a general availability that people feel like that they can grasp that from a, from an experiential point. Mm-hmm. That's usually where mysticism moves in and, and generally speaking, those who are like uh, mystics or have mystical experience type things start to move into more and more of those kinds of states. And it's not relegated to people who have that identification, but it is an experience, so to speak, or a series of experiences. And, um, you know, sometimes it just spontaneously happens for people, and sometimes people work hard for it, and it just depends. Right, right, right. Like uh, spontaneous crown chakra openings or kundalini awakenings yeah. or things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you started meditating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened? <laughs> um, I spent I spent the better part of about three to four years um, really sticking with simple practices. So something in the range of a thousand or more days, um, uh, meditating multiple times a day, going to m- multiple retreats a year, and really focusing on on really simple um, single pointed concentration practice. So this was watching my breath, and usually watching my breath at the tip of my nose, and. Um, at the same time, doing all these other things, like um, I started studying texts, the yogic texts and the Buddhist texts. Um, I was mostly following um, a Buddhist uh, schools and teachers, um, listening to a lot of Dharma talks and things like that. And um, I also started practicing asana. So I was practice, had a yoga practice a few months in, quite committed to that for those, those initial four years as well. So I had something like probably formal sitting was somewhere between an hour and a half, two hours a day, and then the asana practice was somewhere between two and four hours a day. So I usually had about five-ish hours, maybe on average a day, of a formalized kind of practice. I probably was studying like texts or listening to things related for another two to three hours a day. Hmm. And then I generally was, was using that that orientation of mindfulness in, in waking state pretty much as much as I could possibly handle. So I more or less was fully immersed in it all all day every day for for a good initially for a good let's say four years or so mm-hmm. and that really like um it trickled in in terms of step by step by step things started happening around experiences and deepening one's state so <clears throat> it used to be um that i noticed moving into a more a, sta- a spacious state um, sometime around 10 to 15 minutes into formal sitting. And this was really marked the majority of the time I would sit. It would take a little while, and then something like a whoosh feeling, I would enter into what seemed like a radically different state. You know, I had no idea what that was. I just know that it was very peaceful and very quiet, and my mind would, would really stop moving, moving much, you know, not much discursive thought. There was just some kind of clear demarcation there for a number of years, and it was that's about as complicated as I got with it. Um, there was kind of the when that wasn't happening and when that was happening, 
and then that started to deepen into more of the samadhi states, which is um, which are more of these like complete absorption type states, where really the discursive thinking really starts to slow down to a significant degree, and you and somehow the consciousness becomes deeply absorbed and single pointed in these particular flavors or these particular frequencies. Mm-hmm. And and so, how did you make sense of that, or what was that? You know, when you're in those states, and then you come out presumably mm-hmm. um, so so what was that like moving from that state back into kind of three dimensions or mm-hmm. um, well I was really interested in these things these they're in in Buddhism they're called the jhanas in general j-h-a-n-a-s so they're called samadhis in the yoga and, and jhanas in Buddhism so I was really focused on the jhanas because they're they're clearly demarcated in the literature and mm-hmm. there are eight jhanas and four of them are formless, and four of them are, are of form or material and immaterial, as they're called. And generally, they're put on like kind of a ladder where you, you have stages of the first four material jhanas, which are of the body and are of the nature of material, having a materiality. And then the next four are immaterial or of the nature of more space and consciousness itself. And so sometimes people sequentially move through these, and there are um, very regimented disciplines where you can work with a, med- a traditional med- Buddhist meditation teacher and spend many months in monasteries and stuff, and they'll have formalized ways of accessing these and developing them over long periods of time but generally what seems to happen is that people kind of pop into these um, in some non-sequential order they just kind of like certain things happen and arise and then um, it's a it's a strong experience initially and then one learns to stabilize their consciousness in these over time so the oddity of them is that they're more like fundamental aspects of of our waking state and our non-waking state but they're fundamental aspects of of the layers of that make up consciousness so you can think of um whatever if you just check in with your sense of awareness at any given moment you can think of that as a a symphony of sorts there's there's all kinds of musical sections there's the cello section and the violin section and there's the bass and there's the composer uh, rather i'm sorry the conductor and there's music being played. It's, it's sonorous, it's rich, it's harmonic, it's very complex. But you can subtract one element after another, and at a certain point you'd get down to just a melody, and then you can subtract the melody, and you'd get to just rhythm, and then you'd subtract that, and you'd get to just silence. And that's kind of what these jhanas are, is they are the, they're, they're the movement into silence, and each component, each section of the orchestra, so to speak, are what these jhanas are. They're rarefied, rudimentary components of consciousness that when put all together results in what we generally call waking state, where all this symphony of experience is happening, all these different levels are stacked and integrated to produce an experience of some kind of reality, right? Mm-hmm. So you can, you can just start muting the channels, mm-hmm. you know, and then it gets more and more silent and more and more uh, mm-hmm. simplistic. And so your understanding of those things at the time kind of just flowed into the rest of your life. Is that what? Is yes. That, uh-huh. yes. So what happens is it, initially they're kind of like these breakthroughs. Uh-huh. Right? They're, they're, they're weird. They're really strange. And often they accompany very strong um, sensation, very strong emotion, very strong just very strong sensation and experience where you're where it's unusual it's very unusual at first and then once you deepen or stabilize in them over time what starts to happen or what happened to me and what 
most things I've read literature-wise, people, because I've, I've looked around quite a bit about this stuff, what seems to happen is it starts to just simply be a part of waking state. So what is initially mm. a very unusual feeling, sensation, experience, or or aspect of your awareness being connected to, just starts to just go from something that you practice formally, maybe in sitting, and then, you know, maybe after three months or six months or a year or two years, all of a sudden that state is, is just simply present and transparent to you without any effort, it's just there. Because they're, they're essentially, they're kind of barriers in a way. They're both the rudiments and they're, they're kind of like, they're not obvious at first. Right. But then once you explore them, it actually becomes what everything is made of. Mm. And it's kind of unusual because it, it is hard to um, limit these things to uh, communication and language because it's not we're not talking about language. We're talking about actual experiences, uh, actual states that are very describable in language because thousands of people over thousands of years have, have mastered these things and documented these things cross-disciplinary wise, cross-culturally. And so um, taking a broad overview, you can see the commonality over time as people have described these things with different types of language that fits these socio-historical contexts. But no doubt they exist and it's really to experience them brings brings it home, uh, brings it into an integrative uh, perspective. Right, Yeah. right mind gets on board with what spirit knows or whatever what would you call it spirit or <laughs> yeah. i mean just hopefully your curiosity brings you to actually explore these things you know right um you could you could make the the argument that there's nothing more valuable than investing in your own um, sense of self your own uh, your own awareness because if you simply if you simply enhance and improve your ability to be present and to essentially enjoy make yourself available to enjoy and appreciate each moment through your body through your mind then you're increasing the quality of everything you do there's nothing left out I always was so surprised that I spent a lot of time very confused why um, my own culture why, why a Western culture why there was so little emphasis on these things why was it that I had never heard of or had never had any teachers never had any kind of institutions point in the direction of developing one's mind you know developing one's mind in a sense of understanding its component parts and trying to develop presence itself, which means everything else is enhanced, mm -hmm. imp improved. When you say mind, you mean like self-reflective consciousness? Yeah, you could say a sense of self, the I. I've been talking lately and looking into the word emotion okay. and seeing that there are just a million definitions of emotion and some people think emotions are terrible things or things to get rid of and some people think emotions are amazing and it's just really confusing to look out in the world of, <laughs> of what is an emotion I, and there's no agreed upon definition of emotion uh -huh. and mind is also to me one of these things there's just mm. I mean emotion mind love God these are words that like you say and there are a thousand people in a, in a, in a group and a thousand different um, understandings of what it means you mm. know a square is a square that's pretty straightforward but but love God emotions mm -hmm. mind these are really spirit. tricky spirit soul soul <laughs> what really <laughs> tricky. They're really tricky. Yeah. And I like definitions. I'm into definitions. I'm, I'm into non-limitation, but I'm also I'm also <laughs> really interested in defining. There's something in the word too. Um, to define is something like deify. There's some. There's a relationship to the idea that there is a an elevated an elevated relationship to a thing that is well.
well-defined because then precision's available and precision's really important. And that brings brings us into actually more of what energy work is, which is more about the clarity and precision around intention and how you use intention and how you manifest with intention. So tell us more about that, because that's, um, that's your work right now, right? Yeah, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really focused right now um, with uh, with energy work, energy medicine. Um, there's a lot of terminology for it. In, in, in ancient times, it was called magic, Okay. in a sense. I think it's fair to say that, that to cast a spell is simply to say something, and that really just means to, um, to intend something in language, internally, externally. It doesn't really matter, because a thought is a thing. And because um, we are generating uh, our reality through our, our mind, through, our, through the stream of consciousness that we either choose to be interactive with on a conscious level or we remain unconscious with and we don't, we don't craft it, we don't try and engage with it. Mm-hmm. So that might be sleepfulness versus awakeness or, or something of that sort. Yeah, I, I recently have been a part of launching an energy healing a service, a modality, a brand. Not being so interested in um, my, my personal face being attached to something, just giving something a name. So um, my partner and I, Christabel, uh, we launched Field Dynamics. And it's, a, um, it's an approach to doing uh, energy work and self-transformation. And the energy work is the core of it, but we're, we're working with a holistic perspective and involving traditional meditation, um, how to improve one's breathing because of the importance of the nervous system, and, um, and also how to understand uh, patterns, uh, trauma, how to understand how things are sitting in your body and in your field, mm. how to recognize patterns, how energy work is a very, very useful way, uh, maybe the most useful way to recircuit those things, to repattern those things mm. on, a, on an electromagnetic level and then through your physiology. And then... Um, and then how to basically go about your day so that you're in a flow state, so that you're in the present moment more and more, that you're connected to your body and the present moment more and more, and that you can notice when you're moving outside of that. And then you have the skill set to essentially repair or heal the thing that is kind of bugging out, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the, the trigger, so to speak, or the reactivity or the pattern that emerges that pulls you away from the present moment, and then how to bring yourself back into the present moment most skillfully, yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the premise? Are you saying that everything that happens in the body comes from, comes from energy? It's through this energetic field that things manifest in the body. Yeah. Or the body manifests itself. Yeah, so if you look into a, a people, but what's the thing when you go to a door? Is that that's the people, right? Uh, I guess so. That yeah, sounds like there's... a dirty word. Yeah, it's a... <laughs> you're not supposed to look through there. But, yeah, but... <laughs> I don't know what it's called, but this is the image I got when I was going to say something. Yeah, yeah. When you when when somebody knocks on your door and you look through that little hole. I know it's a fish eye. A fish eye. When uh-huh. you look through the fish eye. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> let's let peepholes lie. Okay. <laughs> When you look through that fisheye, you're seeing a, a little, a little um, slice, a very small window into a larger picture on the other side of the door. So, in a sense, what we call the physical reality is like looking through that little, that little fisheye. It's a very small bandwidth of the total amount of frequency that exists, the total amount of information that's flowing at a, every given moment, and. When we talk about energy work, when there's talk about um, the energy body or the, the energy field, the human aura was the word that was thrown around for a long time. 
it's electromagnetic in nature and it is of a much broader wider frequency band than the physical reality so it, it's simply a matter of learning to engage with that um, because everybody has that everybody's functioning within that and um, there's um, the ability to see it directly the ability to w work with it directly it's not a special skill to work with it but again this maybe goes more into the realm of what usually was relegated to mystics and things of the sort is that um, there often is a process by which general tapas or, or intense spiritual practice, so to speak, results in the burning off of distortions and that what it does is it cleans a person's perception. They keep coming more and more into the present moment and with that um, often more uh, strange, esoteric, mystical kinds of openings and perceptions arise. So there's a reason why thousands of years ago there are depictions of, of these chakras and these, these, these color fields around people and geometries and the mandalas and these things. They're, they're visions of, of deeper levels of reality mm. that are simply on the other side of normal physiological functioning. There's a thing where you drive around on a, on a bike and there's like a, a thing called the governor. And the governor keeps the miles per hour at a certain level. Mm -hmm. right? And some people throw the governor off and that thing is going really those really loud bikes uh -huh. right uh -huh. so in a sense our physiology has a built-in governor and has a it has a frequency band that it clamps down on and that's that's for the very large majority of people some people are born and and some of these are just are open you no know? this mm -hmm. is again spontaneous and or just a part of the birth part of their natural gifts you can think of it as the process of of softening and then and then at a certain point essentially removing the governor and simply your perception starts to open up to these you might say deeper but they're essentially they're broader they're broader they're inclusive there's mm -hmm. nothing about the body that's not included in the energy field since the energy field is simply more inclusive it's broader you said something about it's not being it's not that I'm special or only special people partly what you're um, suggesting is that energy field or that energetic understanding that's that's universal it's universal yes and so it's a matter of just opening yourself up or being opened up to be able to work with it and that's that's what you've spent these last several years doing yeah. is opening up your channels clearing the distortions making yourself available to be that conduit yeah 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 we so we can tie in the two stories one is the what's happening with the energy work and the other is what has been your personal experience uh -huh. so what happened was is that <laughs> about 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 four and a half years into really serious practice i had started studying um uh, healing arts more significantly, particularly with body work and, and craniosacral therapy, which is a kind of way of speaking to the nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a really beautiful blend of body work and energy work in a sense. And um, I started noticing more energetic processes happening in myself and other people through that practice. And um, I continued down that path of exploring that modality. And a couple of years in, um, I had a kind of, the, the governor came off, let's say. Mm -hmm. I had a more explosive kind of uh, experience. Um, some people call it um, like a third eye awakening or a kundalini awakening or a crown opening, whatever, whatever, doesn't matter, right? you know? Um, but um, there's a lot of literature about it. And basically um, the central channel, which is the energetic aspect of the spine, 
Um, it, it opened up really deeply. This is a burning sensation in the coccyx and all of this kind of like, it's a kind of a light show. Mm. It's quite intense. Mm. Um, and basically once that happened, the next day I woke up and I just, I just could feel all of the meridian channels. Mm -hmm. Um, I could, I could see, um, colors swirling around my body that were not part of my physical body. Um, and, and that began a different kind of process where I wasn't really my attention or my awareness wasn't sitting anymore, um, in the physical domain only, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there was this transparency to what was happening electromagnetically. Mm-hmm. And that's really all it is, is, it's a shifting over into electromagnetic fields. You know, mm-hmm. our senses are not used to feeling electromagnetism because it's a weak field. Yeah. So um, you build up a certain amount of biological vitality, a certain amount of vitality in your in your physiology, in your nervous system particularly. It's really key to have a developed mm-hmm. nervous system and a developed uh, breathing capacity. Mm-hmm. And then what will naturally happen to many people is at a certain point spontaneously that governor will just bust because you're, you're essentially building up, you can just think of it as you're building up so much charge, mm-hmm. building up so much electrical potency mm-hmm. in your own physical body that the physical body just just essentially explodes. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those boundaries are busted. There's some fundamental layer that is just dissolved. Right. You know, there's a lot of work that can be done from that point. It continues to be a daily process for me. And particularly the first, let's say the first year or so after that had happened, it was very confusing to me. Because just like I didn't know about coming from a culture that didn't teach me about what what is the nature of mind or what are these rudiments of consciousness these were concepts that weren't even presented to me until i was already in my really in my 20s the same thing was true of this experience where all of a sudden i'm in this world that i have no reference to there's no i i go what what's going on here i i wasn't trying to do this i don't even know what this is i just know it's real it's happening and it's quite surprising and it's very um relevant Mm, right (laughs) yeah right yeah the class that I, I took with you just recently, the day long that you did, that, um, and I've had this experience with you in different other contexts too when I've come to see you for sessions. But one thought that I had is there's just really no reason to ever manifest sickness if I know how to run energy through my system on a regular basis or know how to work with this in a, in a real way. And I felt so many physical things happen. Like I have something, uh, you know, in my scapula that's been bugging me for a long time. And it was like some some gentle kind of insect was burrowing mm-hmm. <laughs> into a spot that, mm-hmm. you know, has never been touched before mm-hmm. to just clear it out. It was so gentle, so clear though, so targeted. Um, and in other parts of my body, I could feel physical things changing and happening. So, so yeah, like that's, you know, seems like we need not be sick. Is that true? <laughs> well, I hold space for that. And certainly it's a beautiful intention and a, and a belief. My experience has been that sometimes the, the density or the nature of a blockage in somebody is so in their physical body, is so chemical, is so, um, you know, in the physiology that sometimes the body simply has to go through a process of releasing it 
through the toxicity. Mm. And sometimes it overwhelms an organ, sometimes it overwhelms a physiological mm. system. And that does mean that the person, if they don't have the, um, the robustness of, of those particular organs and those physiological systems, mm. there will be symptomology and there will be what we call sick. Mm-hmm. But that's really more of a healing process than a sick process, uh, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but you're right, with regard to energy work, it significantly um, upgrades one's capacity to self-heal and to expedite healing processes to mm-hmm. a really, really high degree, the more skillful one gets. You can significantly boost your your body's defenses. I mean, in many ways, what we call the immune system is likely more really pointing at one's energy field than anything physical, hmm. you know, because the immune system is kind of pieced together. It's like, oh, a little bit of the skeletal bone marrow, white blood cells, a little bit of the spleen, a little bit of the thymus, a little bit of this, you know, mm-hmm. it's not any one thing. It's like the proprioceptive system is also similar. It's this important thing for the body's sense of spatial, spatialization, temporospatialization. That's it's totally ill-defined. It's like it's not what the vestibular system is in the ear, mm. sense of balance. Mm-hmm. It's just something that's kind of amorphous but exists. And both the immune system and the proprioceptive system point in the direction of that there is all of this scientific backing to understanding that there is a really um, major... Um, relationship to the physical body to electromagnetic fields Hmm. and if you look into contemporary science right now biophysics and the kind of the cutting edge understanding of what's happening biologically there's more and more emphasis on the electrical and the magnetic relationship that physiology has to things like that are called like biosignaling like signaling systems and relationship between the water and the body and um, magnetic fields and things like this. Mm. So there's there's all these little pieces and stuff, but what's what's not being um, acknowledged or what's not really being let into the party, let's say, is that there's just simply a a field around the body that the body grows inside of. There's a, there's a womb, there's an electromagnetic womb, so to speak, that the body's growing inside of, like a grid, a structure, however you want to talk about it. And even though we can photograph these things, even though we can have people see these things reliably, there's still a resistance to open up into what will what will be, I think undeniably, what will be the future of, of medicine in general in the, in the next decade or two. It'll just mm. become a really hard and fast reality. The problem is this, that to accept this and to go into that domain is to basically throw out the textbooks, um, you know, challenge all the pharma- right. pharmaceutical companies, all of the existing me- medicine um, paradigms and stuff. And that, that there's so much... Um, invested in that infrastructure that even if this is well known in a lot of medical laboratories um, mm-hmm. in a lot of the research that's being done even if it is known as a hypothetical they're not gonna gonna go for it yet because um, it do- it's not financially viable to flip the system upside down what we're doing with field dynamics yep. is representing a contemporary model of how to do energy work on yourself very efficiently so people have very little time these days and people have very little attention spans for that which isn't efficient for them and useful right. so we're trying to take the existing models that exist, um, something like Reiki, for instance, which has been an amazing gift to humanity for a long time. So we go around the world, we've done our, you know, our our research and stuff, and we say, like, you know, to an average person, most people, especially those in the holistic healing world, you say, you know, do you know about um, energy work or energy healing? And they go, oh, do you mean Reiki? So it's almost a synonymous term. What it's done is it's um, it's brought into the consciousness this thing that there is this thing called energy work and energy healing, and that it's that it works and that it's useful. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is to build upon and expand upon the possibilities of what energy healing, energy work is, 
and to bring forward a, a contemporary model that really takes advantage of what's possible. Beautiful, beautiful. I know that you and Christabel have a larger mission. Yeah. Yeah, so do you want to talk a little bit about that? Let's say there are threads of intentions. Okay. So the, the field dynamics model thus far is to offer essentially trainings and immersive experiences where a person experiences the potency of energy work and then learns how to do it on themselves and others. There are immersive experiences where it's longer format and the focus is on experiencing and learning. And then there are other short kind of immersive experiences like the field alignment you're talking about. And that's just a one day experience where you just really focus on receiving um, transformational energy work and just go through a, go through a process in a group uh, healing format. Mm-hmm. So thus far, that's what we have put out there. And that's what we have in motion. You know, because we, we just started, made this public only about four months ago now. Mm-hmm. And so obviously we're just getting off the ground. Yeah. And we're going to be working a lot on content and getting out there a lot of these fundamentals about what it is that we're talking about. Because mm-hmm. there's a huge gap between what the assumptions are that we have about the work we're doing and what the general public thinks about what is energy work and energy healing. And that's a big part of uh, our intention and our, and our goal, just increasing the, the public's knowledge base about what is the nature of consciousness, what is the nature of one's intentions, how do thoughts um, manifest, how do intentions manifest the reality that you're existing in, and how does something, how can you use that understanding, which is really the, you could say, the mechanics of manifestation, how do you use that understanding for for healing on a, on a personal level and on a collective level? So one of the more fascinating things to speak of around um, these kinds of insights or the framework for how energy healing works is the holographic nature of reality, which is that all things are interconnected at every single point simultaneously. So it sounds radical or it sounds like a lot, but, but basically that at every single point, if you were to just zoom in to an extreme amount, you'd go to the level of, a, of an atom and then go billions of times higher resolution than that, billions of times more than an atom, Mm. you'd get to what's called the Planck length, which is the smallest measurable unit where time and space exists in physics. Now, at that level, they've discovered very recently exactly what is deeper than that, and it's it's geometry, Mm. right? And that geometry is actually non-local. So in essence, there's only one geometric form that underlies our entire universe, and that is the, that is a, an understanding of completely contemporary and cutting edge science in physics this was understood through the large hadron collider which was the you know the largest particle collider ever that was run in switzerland and just three or four years ago this was discovered and it kind of revolutionized a way of working with quantum mechanics and stuff there are many versions that show about the holographic nature but the way that this speaks to energy work is that whatever you're working on yourself you're actually working on well at a universal scale you're working, but you're also working at the level of all of humanity, at the level of the collective. Mm. So if you're working on the issue of fear in Mm. your own system, in your own physiology, and you're cleaning that up, you're clearing that, you're encountering a collective relationship Mm -hmm. to fear, Mm -hmm. and you're actually working on and helping to be part of the collective transformation around moving away from fear-based manifestation. That, in in many ways, um, moving from an individual sense of work and an individual focus 
and then expanding that out to a collective focus at the level of the whole planet, mm-hmm. all sentience involved in the planet, all animals, the planet itself, all of the, the natural world, mm-hmm. including humanity, is a larger scope that we're hoping to bring forward, and we really want to be focusing on that relationship between the individual and the collective, mm-hmm. um, and that all of that which you do has an effect on the whole, mm-hmm. and that is not some kind of highfalutin, non-comprehensible, non-tangible thing, but it's mm-hmm. actually very, very, it's very, very much what is happening moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And you just gave us the science of there is only one. That On that level, yeah, there's a lot of ways <laughs> to talk about it. That's just, yeah, that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, I'm so glad for the work that you're doing and so glad to see the way that it's coming together and, um, yeah, and just to have the experience of of where it is now, four months in, and I'm so looking forward to everything that unfolds from here. Anything else that you'd like to share? I guess I'd emphasize that anybody can do energy work. Anybody can do the kinds of stuff that I'm describing. Um, learning to take um, 30 minutes of the day or an hour of the day and to really expedite, accelerate, and empower your intentions. So we all want to be more present and we all want to be more capable of taking our imagination and our desires and thoughts and having them be um, made real. Made, made physical, made manifest. Mm. And the reason that I'm focused and the reason that we're focused on energy work is we think that this is really a, a cutting edge or a most efficient practice available for doing just that. So it's not to be something to be worried about or feel less than worthy of being capable of doing. Um, it's accessible to everyone and it's very easy to learn and um, there might be a huge ability to develop from that initial learning point, but anybody can in a single day or in a single weekend or in a single week learn how to really um, step up their own personal practice and begin to do really deep transformational work on themselves and others. Mm, Beautiful, beautiful. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, So we're on www.fielddynamicshealing.com dot com and we're about to go off to do immersive work in bali for a little while and we'll be putting up a lot of content in the coming months and announcing trainings retreats immersives intro talks free offerings online and um, all kinds of uh, really fun stuff so i'm really really excited about Mm, that that's great that's great well thank you so much for coming to talk to me today and for sharing what you've shared and i just i just know that um the work touches people in ways that you can't even calculate. You can't even know. Yeah. <laughs> so it's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks, Liz, for the magic. You've been listening to A Spiritual Guide to Politics. My name is Liz Philippos. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you joined us. Until next time. Bye.